When I was in Kigali, a member of my church needed help getting sober. There was no great AA program, but there were a few addicts in the community that were already in recovery. And so we were able to form a little group. We started using Celebrate Recovery, an evangelical version of the 12-step program for anyone, anyone with hurts, habits, or hangups. And in solidarity with this particular person and a couple of the others that I was starting to get to know, I joined the group and I started attending meetings. As I have mentioned before, um, I have addiction in my family and you can't really understand me without knowing the story of alcoholism around me. I'm sure many of you can relate to that. Um, I find that oftentimes there are a lot more people affected by addiction than any of us really realize. But for the most part, my life um, has just been a story of running away from this. I wanted to get away from this demon, and I don't use that word metaphorically. Participating in this group offered me a venue to engage with the idea of addiction on my own and on healthy terms. I left my experience with this group with a conviction that every one of us, everyone should go through the 12 steps. Addicts are simply forced um, are forced to face what the rest of us are just better at hiding, our utter brokenness and dependence on grace. Today, I want us to reflect first on our own struggle and fight with sin in our own souls and flesh, and second, to receive, to fully and completely and freshly receive the good news that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus and that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. So first, our struggle with sin. I would have expected the 12 steps to start out with some sort of motivational pep talk, right? Like something you would see in a, with a big motivational speaker up on stage with a nice, nice jawline and white teeth. Recognize that you are stronger than your addiction. However, this is not the way it starts at all. Here are the first three steps in the 12-step program. One, we admitted we are powerless over our addictions and compulsive behaviors that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. And three, we made a decision to turn our lives and our wills over to the care of God. In other words, the first steps are the gospel. It starts not with white knuckles, but with open hands and a broken and contrite heart. And as it turns out, these steps were created in part by Dr. Samuel Shoemaker, an Episcopal priest, whose gospel legacy in New York can, to this day, be felt at Calvary St. George's. A few weeks ago, a few weeks, for a few weeks now, we have traversed through Romans. Last week, we talked about our identity in Jesus, how we who were once heirs of Adam's death have become crucified with Christ to share in Christ's resurrection. We talked about each and every part of our identity being crucified and ordered rightly under the lordship of Jesus. So that our end, our purpose, our telos, 
might be moved from death to life. That is a reality that connects each and every one of us on the deepest human level. When I hear Paul's words in Romans 7 this morning, it reminds me of the words of an addict. Romans 7, 22 and following. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my very members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but my flesh, with my flesh I serve the law of sin. When we commit to allow each and every aspect of our lives to be crucified with Christ, it is a daunting process, a messy process. An alcoholic can't simply just decide to not drink, to allow that part of their lives to be crucified. There is a reason that Paul talks about sin as slavery. It takes hold of us and continually asks for us to come back to it, even after we have cast it aside over and over again. The good African theologian Augustine puts it very, very well. See, what a fight we have with our dead sins. As that active soldier of Christ and faithful teacher of the church shows, for how is sin dead when it works many things in us while we struggle against it? What are these many things except foolish and harmful desires which plunge those who consent to them into death and destruction. And to bear them patiently and not give in to them is a struggle, a conflict, a battle. And between what parties is a battle if not between good and evil? Not of nature against nature, but of nature against fault, which is already dead, but still to be buried. That is entirely healed. Already dead, but still to be buried. Who amongst us can't relate to that? I sure can. Christians, Christians talk about the already but the not yet. Already members of Christ, but not yet fully made new. Already freed from sin, but still watching it be purged from our souls. Already part of new creation, but yearning for new creation to bear all of its fruit. Like a couple that has been declared husband and wife by the priest, but has not yet fully consummated their union. We, the church, are waiting for Christ to consummate new creation in its fullness. And it is in this in-between stage that we feel our own frailty, our own vulnerability. For many of you all, obstacles are just hills to climb. Look, all of you are extraordinarily gifted. And most of you are young and healthy people, which makes you prone, us prone, to the subtlest and most deadly of vices, pride and self-confidence. It is not 
a weak knight who is delusional in thinking that they can pull the sword from the stone, but rather the strongest of them. But in reality, only the king can move that sword, and that ain't you. We are tempted at every turn to just grit our teeth, roll up our sleeves, and make it happen. Take care of things, but ask any addict, and they will tell you it doesn't work like that. White knuckling may bide you over for a time, but it will not free you. No, the right response to feeling sin still flare up inside of us is not simply to master it ourselves, but to allow Christ to be our master instead. In the words of Thomas Chalmers, we must rely on the expulsive power of a greater affection. We are loved by Christ. And it is by his activity of love, of his spirit in us, that spurs our love for him. And the fruits of the spirit come as a result of that. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are fruits. We don't bear fruit in order to be joined to the vine we bear fruit as a result of abiding in the vine. But we are so tired. We are so often beat up by this struggle in us. We have so often fought battles in our own souls and our own flesh for so long that we are just exhausted. The common wisdom about addiction is that someone has to hit rock bottom before they can take recovery seriously. You have to be able to honestly come to step one, believing that you actually are powerless. And for competent people, like many of you in this church, that can be especially difficult. It's difficult for me. Which brings us to the second part of our reflection. The good news. The good news is really, really good. The second part of our reading from Romans this morning and our gospel reading from Matthew remind us just how good our gospel is. After this somewhat tortured reflection by Paul in Romans 7, the dawn comes. Romans 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. One poison of pride is not only that it deludes us into thinking a struggle with the flesh, into fighting a struggle with the flesh that we can't win on our own might, but also, and perhaps more importantly, it keeps us from truly embracing the fullness of God's grace. It inoculates us to receive real water from our souls. So friends, receive these words into places of exhaustion and struggle and frustration like we hear the Apostle Paul having in Romans 7. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. None. 
Jesus says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. There could be someone this morning who has never heard that. But I wouldn't be surprised at all if all of us have. But hearing something and knowing it, really understanding it so well that it seeps into our bones, understanding it so well that we become fluent in it, are different things. In the classic Boston-based film, Goodwill Hunting, a genius janitor, played by Matt Damon, solves an impossible math problem. Along this journey, he goes to a counselor, and it is revealed that he has suffered enormous abuse as a child who was in the foster system. The therapist, played by the late, great Robin Williams, looks at him, and in one session he says, Will, it's not your fault. And Will says, I know, I know it isn't. Um, thanks for that. I know it's not my fault. But the therapist does not retreat. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. And the defenses of this ironclad, broken, brilliant young man begin to shudder. Don't do this, Will says, but he continues, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. Will, after much protest, loses it, sobbing uncontrollably. Does Will know that it's not his fault? On some level, he knows. Rationally, it is not his fault. But deep, deep in his gut, that abused foster child fears that it is his fault. He fears that it is his problem. He fears that he cannot really ever be loved. Friends, when we hear the words of the gospel, that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, that his yoke is easy, and his burden is light, and that we can find rest for our souls, I think we all know that that's the right answer. But when we are in the midst of wrestling with our own flesh, with sin, with injustice in the world, terrible injustice in the world, when we feel so painfully in ourselves that which is dead but not yet buried, it can be like will. We know it's true, but that truth has not yet pierced us as it should. We have held it at bay. And this is not a normal season. We are all in the middle of a pandemic which has lasted far longer than any of us have had patience for. The death toll continues to climb from it. We have been physically separated from people we love. Many families have children at home trying to survive both work and life at the same time. This church is currently looking for a new rector after the, the rector who planted the church has left. And now, we have all been forced to reckon with the racial sins of our world and our nation and reflect on our own place in that story. That is a good thing, but it can also bleed us of any hope and joy in a time 
when we have already become at the end of ourselves. The work of justice is one the Lord calls us to, not just now, but as long as we are sojourners in this earthly city. But that struggle, that reality, that yoke is not ours to carry alone. Our yoke is Christ's yoke. Our burden is his burden. Our life is his life. And no matter how much ugliness we find in ourselves, no matter how much sin is dead but not yet buried, there is no condemnation for those who are in him. So if you are tired and beaten down, if you are exhausted and at rock bottom, you may be exactly where God needs you right now. Exactly where you might stop your struggling and let the truth of the gospel through your layers of defense. Let the exhaustion of your soul be an acid that corrodes your pride and allows you to taste and see that the Lord is the one who is good, that the Lord has mercy which endures forever. Friends, it is in that mercy that we find the fruits of goodness to overcome the sins that we struggle with. And it is only in that understanding of our powerlessness, like an addict, that we see real, true change. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we love, we love you. Lord, the gift that you give us in the person of Jesus is so extravagant, is so generous, is so over the top that oftentimes, Lord, we settle for things which aren't the gospel because they feel more reasonable. That, Lord, we might just do well enough to be better people, but that is no gospel at all. Lord Jesus, make all of us who know the truth experience that truth in our bones in our souls, that, Lord, we might take up yokes that are your yoke, that our life might be your life, and that, Lord, the fruit that we bear can be the fruit of love and of the Spirit, not of our own doing, but, Lord, of the power of you in us. We pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.